Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. We're glad that you joined us today yes, as we, we are. continue our reading of the book of Ezra and as we finish up the Gospel of John. Wow. We got a lot of exciting things going on. Sure uh, do. Both in Ezra and in John. And we pick up in Ezra with uh, just this this continued story of uh, Darius and the attempt from the opposition from Tatanai. Is that how you say that name? Tatanai? Uh, yeah, tatted up, bro. Yeah. Maybe he was. Who knows? That'd be kind of cool. We've got uh, the continued story of him and uh, and Darius, and Darius uh, does his search and finds that, sure enough, there was a decree, and this decree was made by King Cyrus, and Cyrus decreed that that yes, this should happen, that the the uh, exiles should go back, and that they should be allowed to rebuild the temple, and so uh, Darius kind of goes above and beyond here. In my title here, you ready for this one? I sure am. My title here is Godflex. Godflex. <laughs> because. You've got this right. foreign king who is not a follower of God, right. who issues these decrees not only to rebuild the temple, but to supply the materials and to supply the animals as much as they need for all of their sacrifices. Yeah, like a nearly blank check. Right. And, and that's that to me is a God flex. I mean, I guess I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool, especially when you you consider the opposition. It's like one of those moments where you were growing up and somebody went to go tell on you, and then they got in trouble instead of you, and it's like, <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. That's awesome. I, I appreciate the turnaround. Yeah, they're expecting maybe bad things, more opposition, and yet God totally reversed his course on them. Right. And from this point forward, the the path is is paved, so to speak, for the temple to be finished. Um, and that's exactly what happens. I and see we, what you did there. We referenced, <laughs> there you go, picking up what I'm putting down. We referenced last time that this has taken place during the, the prophetic uh, ministry of Haggai and Zechariah. Mm. And uh, the temple is completed there in about 516 BC. And maybe some of you took our uh, our council, our exhortation last time and went over and, and read in Haggai. And, and there's an interesting part in Haggai where the prophet mentions uh, a uh, the, this future temple and it, it when you're reading it it almost seems like he's talking about this temple that that was just completed but he is kind of slighting this temple earlier in the the book of uh, of Ezra the the older people are upset over the existence of this temple they're not happy about it and in Haggai he says you know you're looking at this temple and it's it's really not what it what it used to be but then he goes on and he says, you know what? There's going to be a, the, the glory of the Lord in the future is going to fill this house, he says. That's how he puts it in chapter 2, verse 9. And uh, and great things are going to happen through this house. And that's an interesting reference, but it's not a reference to the temple here in Ezra. Well, what? As much as it is a reference to the temple that will eventually be in the millennial kingdom. So what Haggai is doing is he's looking at this temple that we're reading about back here in Ezra being the foundation being laid and, and the walls being built and the temple being completed. And Haggai says, you know what? I know this one's disappointing because it's it's anticlimactic. It, it doesn't have the, the grand filling of the temple with the glory of the Lord the way the first one did or anything like that. 
And, and Haggai the prophet is saying, uh, look, hope in a future temple because this house, meaning the, the dwelling place of God on earth, not this specific temple, mm-hmm. but a future version of this house is going to again have the glory of the Lord filling it. Yeah, I really I really liked verse 14 because it, it does point us to the fact that their success in building this temple, even though it was a far cry from what they experienced under Solomon's reign, uh, they prospered under the word of God. It reminded me very much of Joshua chapter one, where he tells them, hey, uh, know the word of God, respond to the word of God, for then you'll make your way prosperous, then you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. So you see something critical in verse 14. Their success was found in obeying the word of God. Absolutely. And if you've read Zechariah, good on you this week, because that's a lot more than uh, than two chapters of Haggai. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Zechariah is is also pointing the people towards the future hope of the Messianic kingdom and the the ultimate glory of the Lord that will be present during that time. Uh, But this is still a time of celebration. And in fact, at the end of chapter six, that's what they do. They celebrate the Passover. And that brings us to an interesting note and a little bit of a my bad on this, uh, because last time, if you were paying close attention, you heard me reference last podcast or the podcast before uh, the 70 years of cap- captivity. And I mentioned 586 to uh, 538 BC and, and Pastor Rod. Carry the one. I came up with a different number. Yeah. He pulled out his calculator and kind of mouthed at me. He was like, that's not 70. But by then we were, <laughs> I was like six thoughts down the road. So I couldn't, I couldn't go back, but you're right because that wasn't the time frame of the 70 years. And there's two views on this. I'll give one, Pastor Rod, why don't you give the one about the, uh, the, the celebration of the Passover? Uh, the, the first view is some believe that this is from the, the first uh, group of exiles being taken in 608, um, and then that decree to return in 538. Uh, but even there, there's there's question mark. Okay, 608, 605, 607. There's there's question marks mm-hmm. as to when that first uh, marker of exile took place. There, we know the decree of Cyrus is, was in 538, uh, but there's some question mark there. The second option is, well, one of the options, one of the more popular options, is that you would look at the primary destruction of Jerusalem, which would have occurred in 586. The walls are torn down. Things are set on fire mass deportation uh one of the one of the the one of the grandest in its and it's uh in its significance you have 586 leading up all the way till right now in this chapter ezra chapter 6 where you have passover celebrated and the finishing of the temple it's kind of like the crescendo everything comes here and the reason why i tend to like this particular counting is because it ends the 70 year period at a time that would make the most sense for, for Judah as a community, not just a, not just a city, but a religious society of people where the centerpiece of their worship was reestablished and, and kind of highlighted by the fact that they're celebrating Passover the first month, uh, one of their biggest holidays of the year. Either way, which whichever one we take, I think it's important for us to uh, remember and to hold fast to the idea that that it was the seventy years that was prophesied by by Jeremiah. Whether you take the first accounting or whether you take the second accounting, uh, God was specific with His people that they were going to be judged, and that's going to play a, a role into where we're going to go even tomorrow in our daily Bible reading with the Book of Ezra. But God's people were judged for their faithlessness, and that was a seventy-year exile. Now they're back. Now the temple's been built. Now they're celebrating the Passover together. And then in chapter seven, we kind of fast forward. We fast forward Artaxerxes. Almost 60 years. Yeah, almost 60 years. Artaxerxes comes on the scene here in chapter seven. He reigned uh, 464 to 423 BC. 464, 423 BC. Uh, Yeah, so almost 60 years after the events of chapter six. Uh, And it's it's possible, as Ezra is is called, 
that he was still there in Babylon uh, ministering to the exiles that remained back because not everybody came back with that first return under Cyrus. That's true. And so Ezra seems to have remained there, maybe was was uh, was obviously was was born there at one point and uh, stayed there and was ministering to the the exiles there in Babylon. But there's a problem back in Jerusalem, and that is there's a there's a scarcity of uh, of good teachers of those that are able to instruct the Israelites, and they're in danger of falling back into the same patterns of disobedience and faithlessness that plagued their forefathers that ended up going into exile. So Ezra is called for because they need somebody to come and to administer the the word of God there in Jerusalem. And I love the description of Ezra in 710. It said, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Love that. Yeah, parents, let that be our our aim with our families, with your kids, that they would look at you and say, my, man, my mom and dad set their hearts to study the law of the Lord and, and to do it, and they taught us his statutes and his rules, maybe not in Israel, but at home. Um, that's such a good legacy that that Ezra was was known for already at this point in his ministry. And it really highlights one of the reasons why we do this, Pastor PJ. We don't do this because we don't have anything better to do with our day, but we really want to be a source to you parents. We want to be a source to our church, uh, whether you're a parent or just a single or a grandparent or whatever else you are in between. We want to provide something of Ezra's ministry to you. In fact, a couple of verses before what you pointed out, Pastor PJ, verse 6 um, I, I really appreciated the fact that he was called a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. And get this, here you see you see a parallel in Ephesians chapter four here. He is a he's skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Mm-hmm. He gave. God gave Judah Ezra. And in a very similar sense, you might remember Ephesians chapter four, God gave us the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. These are gifts that God gives to the church. And so by God's grace, this is the role that we seek to fulfill with you. We want to encourage you to learn and to grow and to take advantage of everything that our church offers you. Mm, Absolutely. There's a phrase that pops up in verse nine, for the good hand of his God was on him. And that kind of repeats itself. All over. It's like sprinkled. Yeah. Throughout this this book. And it's referencing Ezra. Sometimes it's referencing the the people of of Israel. Uh, But the people of Israel benefit from Ezra's godliness and God rewards them. And even at the, the bottom of this chapter, in chapter 7, 21 and following, we get another God flex here when <laughs> another pagan king kind of follows in the footsteps of Darius and, and decrees, hey, you know what? Whatever is decreed of, of God in heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God. That's verse 23. Lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. He goes on and he says, you know what? I want everyone to know the laws of your God and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Here you've got a foreign king exhorting Ezra, hey, go back and teach the people the word of God. How Crazy. awesome is that? Crazy. Hey, hey we, we often talk about praying for our leaders in this country, praying for the, the rulers in this, uh, this nation that we live in. This would be a, a great thing to pray. And maybe you think, man, that seems like a massive prayer in our times right now that a king would say or that a president or that a politician, that a group of, of, of senators would say to the church, hey, go out and teach the people because the people need to know God. Pray big prayers, right? Right. I mean that that would be an amazing prayer for us to join together and offer to the Lord and say, Lord, we want this here uh, to to make the church even more successful in what she's doing. Well, even to your point, Pastor PJ, there's 
there's still vestiges of the favor, the privileged position that Christianity used to enjoy in our nation. There's still tax benefits for churches in some places, and there's still tax benefits for churches in other places. I mean, there's still vestiges. And that tells us that in history, God has done this before. He can do this again. Now, we don't pretend to know what God has in store directly, but we should be praying for big things and not be limited by our own cynicism or our own fear of what may or may not take place. Absolutely. Well, Ezra, at the end of chapter seven, blesses God for all of these good things. Ezra knows who's behind this. He knows who's responsible for this. He's not saying, how great is Artaxerxes? This is awesome. Hmm. No, he's blessing God. Blessing, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. In chapter eight, we get a, a genealogy of those who returned with Ezra and just his, his going about things the right way. He, he is there to bring some needed, I don't know if I would go so far as to say reform, but uh, needed structure to what lacked structure. They they needed this instruction. They needed a system. And so he brings people with him back to Jerusalem, calls for them to come back to Jerusalem, charges them to do what they uh, are called to do and leads the people just into a a state of seeking God, which we talked a lot about in Chronicles. Uh, But we see that in, in chapter eight, verse 23. So we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. Mm. The people are, are, are devoting themselves to the Lord, and Ezra is leading the charge in that. And then again in verse 31, we see the hand of God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes along the way. So he's protecting them on the way from Babylon back to Jerusalem so that they can get set up there and continue with the ministry that needs to be done. Yeah, I had one small note here in chapter 8. Uh Ezra decides not to take the help of the king in getting them from point A to point B. But just a couple chapters later in the next book, which is part of this, the same book as Nehemiah, Nehemiah accepts it. He's willing to accept the entourage. So I wanted to point that out to you because I thought it would be interesting to consider the fact that God does lead Christians in different ways. And for you, you might be convicted that you need to go to the left. And for the other Christian, he might need to go to the right. No political insinuations in that, in that uh, left and right analogy. But uh, to have a certain sense of wisdom and understanding, hey, to, to one God calls us to do one thing and to another God calls us to do another. So let there be a, an awareness on your part that there's a liberty in many of our decisions insofar as their decisions from faith. Absolutely. On our New Testament reading, we come to the end of the Gospel of John. And in uh, John 21, it's interesting because the, the Jesus has been appe- appearing to his disciples. What's not recorded here, but we find out uh, elsewhere, Jesus was there for 40 days and he was appearing to many different people in different places. And so uh, this is a little vignette where the disciples are kind of together and Jesus had already told them what they were to be doing, right? And he had even told them mm. that back in uh, before the cross. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I've got this ministry for you to do. And, and yet they're together. And Peter says, well, I guess let's uh, <laughs> let's go fishing. It sounds so cynical. Right? Just right? like he gave, he gave up. Yeah. I imagine him in his pajamas. Just like, I guess we'll just go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just go fishing again. <laughs> and it's, it's meant to impact us because you remember they left their fishing nets to follow Jesus. Mm. And there was significance to that. Yep. Because he was calling them away from what they had been doing for a living and he was going to make them do something different now. Right. And yet they're sitting there going, well, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, but let's go back to fishing. Well, Jesus shows up and he's like, oh, what, what? you can't find any fish, huh? We'll cast the net on the other side of the boat. And you get that scene where Peter goes, oh, John says, it's the Lord. And Peter's like, I'm in. And he just jumps <laughs> in the water and... I love when it says that the rest of them just stayed in the boat because they were only about 100 yards away. and <laughs> They're literally like, just they could swim easily. Right. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a comical scene. You're right. Peter probably was left behind. I mean, the boat, my guess is the boat passed him. <laughs> he's, they're going past him with the oars just moving past him as he's trying to struggle he's to like, get to Jesus, shore. I'm coming. 
in. <laughs> yeah, man, that's funny. Anyways, but then you've got this this scene between Jesus and Peter where Jesus so asks touching. three times, do you love me? It's so touching. And uh, Why three times? Three times because it's three denials. Ooh. Right? Ooh. The restoration of Peter here because Jesus had work yet for Peter to do. And Peter, I'm sure, was carrying still the guilt and the, the weight of knowing that he had denied Jesus. Mm. And here Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, comes to Peter and he gives him this opportunity to express his full devotion to him three times just as he had denied him three times. Yeah, and I, I even point back to verse 9 too. Notice the context here. He's in the midst of a charcoal fire. The last time you saw a charcoal fire in the Gospel of John is chapter 18 where Peter denied Jesus. And then you've got this scene again where where Peter and, and Jesus are, are together and Jesus tells Peter essentially that he's going to be crucified. He, I mean, not in so many words. We, we believe from church history that's what happened to Peter, but he talks about Peter's death. And Peter looks behind him and sees John hanging out kind of nearby. And he's like, well, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? <laughs> and uh, and Jesus says, well, that's, that's not Mind for you business. to know. Mind right? your business. Right, but I love what, what Jesus says to Peter, and I think it's so good for us. He says, if it's my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Finger in the chest, huh? Yeah, and that, that's our message today too, right? Wherever you are, Christian, yep. if you're worried about what's going on in the world, on the, the geopolitical scene, if you're worried about what's going on you know, in your neighborhood with your HOA, if you're worried about what's going on with, with your family, your, your parents, your first priority is you follow me. That's what Jesus wants us to do, no matter what. And I, I think it's so helpful because so often we're tempted to compare ourselves to other Christians, right? Well, why does that Christian have a bigger house? Why do they have a better family? Why do they, you know, they seem to have more privileges than I do. They're more attractive, they're more athletic or whatever else. We're always looking across the lawn at the neighbor's house and the neighbor's neighbor situation saying, well, why can't, why, why am I being punished, God? Why don't you treat me the same way that you treat them? And I think the, the answer is here. Like the way that God dispenses grace or treats other Christians in some ways is irrelevant to the way that you live your life. You be faithful to what God has called you to do and let God handle the details. Absolutely. Yeah. Good application there. Good, good thoughts. As we close this episode, we're grateful as always that you guys tune in and we will catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the daily Bible podcast. Can't wait to see you guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm-hmm.